the corporate infrastructure. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dre Campbell, and this is Tell, a podcast where queer people tell queer stories. For the past five years, I've been hosting and curating a night of live storytelling at a queer bookstore in the city. And now I'm sharing those stories with the world. So if you need a dose of queer community or you just want to hear great stories told by the people who live them, strap on your headphones and clip on your bow tie. Because Tell is queering the narrative and telling our stories on our terms. Each episode of Tell features two stories that center around a theme. And the theme of this episode is misleading. I mean, it's a little misleading to call it misleading, but it's actually, I haven't misled you. It's called misleading. (laughs) You'll get it. In a little while, Lorena Rusi talks U-hauling across the globe, if I had a nickel. But first, Dennis Yue-Ye Li is going to tell us what it's like to be gay and in the military in Taiwan. Originally from Taiwan, Dennis Yue-Ye Li is a New York-based director, playwright, performer, and a performance artiste with an M.A. from NYU. Today, Dennis is the Associate Artistic Director of the Living Theater and is a New York Drama League Directing Fellow. Dennis's work explores themes of sexuality, philosophy, and politics. So you know all the light stuff. And this story was recorded in September of 2018. So hi, I'm Dennis Lee, and I am originally from Taiwan. So I relocated it seven years ago. Um, I am a theater director, and I work with a company that's called The Living Theater. I don't know how many people know about The Living Theater. But yes, it has something to do with the story that I'm going to tell today. Um, The reason why I end up with The Living Theater is because of the belief, the the anarchism, the, the pacifism, and all the anti-war uh, mentality and, and our human knowledge and everything. I want to share with you some story that's a little bit inten- one story that's a little bit intense. So in Taiwan, uh, right before I came to America, I was in the army. It's mandatory because we have an existing enemy, the other side of the, the, Taiwanese, Strait, the Taiwanese Strait, which is the gigantic China. As we all know, Donald Trump has been talking about that. Um, So um, it's required to be in the military for one year. And I went to a college. You know, when you went to the college, you get to understand that what military is like. It's very diverse in terms of uh, social classes. You get to meet different people from different backgrounds. It's very masculine. It's all about teaching you how to fight, how to kill people. if you already receive a certain degree of education, you kind of understand that this is not humanity should be, and you're against that idea, but it's mandatory, so you have to receive that thing, and you're like, fuck, how do I 
get away with that. There's nowhere for you to get away with. You get either gain weight super fat, and then you can get away with, <laughs> with it, or you become a monk. You're like, I cannot kill. That's the way you get away with it. And if you receive a college degree, you can actually take an exam to say that I want to become a general. I want to become a sergeant. So in the way you are higher in the rank, you don't have to be yelled at all the time. So I took the exam and then I become a corporal, which means like, it's not bad. It's just not a soldier, but it's not bad. But there are like generals, you know, above you and they can still yell at you. So I joined it in. And I really hate that idea because like every single day you watch all those propaganda about how horrible Chinese people are. They're like horrible people. They will kill you. They will like infiltrate your country and all those things. And also like they will boost how great Taiwan is in terms of the military force. You're like America is so great. They sell so many tanks, so many weapons. We love it. And then look at this tank. And then in reality the tank will just like broke on the way, and you're like, sorry, that's called it the day. We cannot practice because the tank is broken. <laughs> yeah, and we, we were told that all the weapons that we were using were sold by the American government that was after the Second World War when they need to dump all those weapons away, and they want to still make some money out of it, so they sell to Taiwan. So we were like, yeah, thank you, America. <laughs> um, so that was like my daily life, and there's a position someone that is um, political officer, which means like he is creating all the propaganda to sort of like brainwash us. And then there's one thing we are required to do is that we have to write journals every single day. And then you, ha you have to report like what the day is like to you in the military. And you know, in the military, it's all about masculinity. It's very straight, extremely straight. They would say, they would tell bad, bad jokes about vagina, they will brag about how many women they have sex with before in the way that you have to like hide yourself as a gay man just so that they won't yell at you because you don't want to be yelled. That's the way that you know the discipline is. You just don't want to be yelled at. So what I'm good at, what I was good at is like I have a bunch of girlfriends and they happen to be extremely beautiful. <laughs> so they're like, Dennis, when is your girl girlfriend going to come and visit you? I want to see them. <laughs> All those things, I was like, okay, no problem. <laughs> After the holiday, you know, talk to me, but treat me nicely, you know? <laughs> but still, I was suffering from depression because I hate the idea of like killing, the violence. I hate that because I grew up on the street. I knew the gangster scene. I was abused by the gangsters as well. And my mom's side is all about the, the street culture. I know that and I don't want to you know, duplicate that idea, the violence. I want to fight against that. That's the reason why I joined the Living Theater. So I hated it so much. And because of that, I was very depressed in the military. I couldn't handle it. And a lot of people tell you, like, you know, it's only one year. Suck it up. Count the days, and then it will be over. But every single day you wake up, you will yell at, you will disciplined. You have to do all those physical things. You have to learn how to kill. You have to use all those weapons. That's pretty much what you are doing. Some people would tell you a trick or two, like if you really hate it, you have to pretend that you're crazy. So there was like what, a friend of mine, real quick thing, he would just squat down when everybody stand up, he would just squat down and it's like, look, the ants. <laughs> and then he would be yelled at, but he would just like ignore those things. It's like, the ants, <laughs> for 45 minutes. <laughs> and people are like, no, that guy's crazy, we're gonna send him out. 
Yeah, that's the way you get away with it. So um, back to the Juno thing. I was expressing, I thought that you know, the political officer, he's in a way the counselor too, to the, all the soldiers. You can say whatever you like to him and he's not gonna report. So I said, I am very depressed. I hate this idea. I, wanna, I want this world to end. I can't handle it anymore. And he thought it was in a way very serious. So he asked me to visit a special counseling office officer. So when I was there, they created this atmosphere that makes you like super safe. So I thought I was safe. And I said, well, I'm gay man. And I hate this thing, I, but I hate this violence. It has nothing to do with me as a gay man. But also, I am not comfortable handling a bunch of straight men when they are talking about vaginas all the time. Because I don't like vagina. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't like vagina. <laughs> and so that's the thing. So he was like, it's okay, it happens, it happens. Uh, just calm down, I would, let's keep talking. And then up to the point, he was like, I think you need to go see a psychologist. So I was transferred to the hospital to see a psychologist. And the psychologist is also like very calm. It's like, oh yeah, you're not the first case. So what happens? I was telling him a lot of things. And we know that in the law, if you're talking to a psychologist, if you're calling to talking to a counselor, all, everything's supposed to be private. Not, it has to be confidential. You cannot share any patient's information to other people. You just can't because of the law. So I said, I'm gay. And I hate this idea of like killing people too. And I can't deal with the straight man masculinity that's like you have to stand in a certain way, you have to be yelled at, you have to learn how to yell at people. I hate all the things. So I said that. And then a couple of days later, I got this um, diagnosis saying that I have gender identity disorder. And then according to the synopsis, uh, uh, symptom, uh, they say that I dress like a woman, I talk like a woman, and I was like, hold on a second, what do you mean? So all those things, and so it was very serious. Uh, because I was really, really depressed, so he, uh, he gave me some medication. He's like, you have to take the medication. For my case, it's very special. Usually when you are given the medication, you need to be hosp hospitalized. A lot of people actually went to the hospital and stay in the hospital for three months until they have like a further diagnosis to see if that guy is okay to go back to the army or not. And I skipped that for some reason. I don't know why. But I was taking the medication and I said that I wanna transfer to another branch. I wanna do civic service. I would like to help people because that's more direct. At least you are doing something good as opposed to like learn how to kill people. So they, they, they were taking all those notes in, but they didn't say, yes, Dennis, I'm gonna transfer you to another part. A um, Couple days later, my dad called me. My dad says like, do you have something serious to tell me? And I was like, what is it? He said, I got a call from the general of your camp, and he said that you're gay. And I was like, what are you talking about, dad? It's not about that thing, it's not. What are you talking about? Yes, I'm very depressed, but it has nothing to do with sexual orientation. If a little side note about the Chinese culture, Taiwanese culture, it's still a big taboo. In Taiwan, it's fine for you to come out with your f to your friends. We are like really friendly, but going back to the family is a no-no. It's a huge no-no. You just can't do it. So I, I said no, I just keep saying no, and then I went back to the, the camp. I was very upset. I was like, there's no right for you to report. 
But they were like, well, we have to do this because you have definitely a very serious issue with men. I was like, what are you talking about? You know, I hate, I was very depressed about, you know, learning how to kill people. But back in the day, uh, at the end of the day, I, I met so many gay friends. They're like, Dennis, you're like a powerhouse. We all know you're gay. <laughs> Does it hurt? Because <laughs> they were like a lot of my closet gay men, and they just like dare not to come out. But they saw me. They were like, I want to learn about your experience. So it hurts? How do you <laughs> clean? And then there are like some like, some sometimes like, there would be some straight men, they were like really funny, and they they sort of like treat you as a buddy, and they would just touch your butt, and they would like flirt with you. So I always play along with that. I was like, sure, why not? So I was having a little bit of fun there, too. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, I have no problem with men. What are you guys talking about? And I'm, I'm not identifying as a woman. But anyway, so I went back to the to the camp, and everybody sort of understand that I have this issue, this depressed, uh, this mental issue, and they're like, okay, let's just not let Dennis do certain things. And then later on, I was not sent to the hospital, but I was informed that I will be soon dismissed from the military. And I was like, great, thank you so much. Yes, I'm I'm happy to leave. So uh, two two months prior to the end of my service, I was dismissed. And this issue still is unsolved to the military nowadays in, the, in Taiwan. You just can't be gay, you just can't come out as a gay man. So that's the end of my story. <laughs> you can find Dennis Yu Ye Li's work at dennisyuyeli.com. The first time I heard that story, while well, like sitting in the audience listening to it, my mind was blown. <laughs> like, it's like you think that you're having a difficult time in your life and then you sort of listen to what other people have gone through or go through and see that people are walking upright. It just blows my mind. And it made me think about what actual strength is in a country where you have to keep your queerness, your sexuality a secret, and also where the military service is obligatory. Obviously... A lot is at stake. Boundaries are very confusing. And then you have to be a leader. There's just, it's a lot happening. Speaking of confusing boundaries, the next story is a lesbian love story. Queen's native Lorena Rusi is a queer Latinx comedy, multi-hyphenate ex-pro soccer player and filmmaker now selling out in Brooklyn. She's performed at BAM and been featured on Comedy Central, Refinery29, The Oscars, and Time Out's list of LGBTQ POC comedians we're obsessed with. Lorena's story was recorded in August 2018. goodness me too climate things are crazy how are you did everyone feels like everyone got an emotional haircut you know do you guys are going to the gym that kind of new life <laughs> you start going to the gym and you're like I'm gonna get hot again and then you're like wow that works but it's hard okay I'm here to tell you a story oh that's me I'm here to tell you a story uh, some people have a resting bitch face okay I uh, I've resting colonial man face okay 
a lot of uh, uh, colonized blood in my body, okay? Uh, and so as an androgynous person, I've always relied a lot on my body. Uh, as you heard, I also had a career as a professional soccer player. Whoa, how did <laughs> that stereotype get worse? Yeah, yeah, my dad played soccer, I played soccer. And so as a result of being a uh, very butchy lady and a soccer player, I've always relied on my body, okay? So always told me what to do, how to move forward in my life, okay? Right. So in this career as a soccer player, I thought I was going to go live in Italy, I was going to be a barista, I was going to grow a proverbial mustache, and instead it didn't work out, okay? So I came back to New York and I started working at Apple. Great. Shabbat shalom. Huh? Apple people? Anyone get fucked over here? You got the Apple Watch? No, you have a regular watch. And good for you. Same thing here. I don't even know. Um, but Apple, I was like, this is going to be great. I'm going to do tech, right? I had a little uh, neo-Nazi haircut at the time. You guys know what the neo-Nazis? A little and a one on the side. Again, resting colonial man face. Okay, very good look for me. <laughs> and so I was this like gay mecca for the people at the Apple store. And I was just like this shining light for the Moe's. And there's 300 employees, right? So the like 10% that were gay women were uh, inevitably all came up to me and were like, hey, you know, how's it going? Yeah, you want to do, do a lesbian thing? I'm like, all right. That's how lesbians talk to each other. We get really shifty and just go, electronics? So one specific lesbian, her name was Sam. Now Sam was, okay, she was like a video music girl, like she should have been sitting on a car, but instead she was talking to me about anime. I had no idea what she was talking about because I'm not personally into anime, you know, frankly, not my thing. But she was, so I was a gugugui for her, okay? Just beautiful, really well-spoken, also Afro-Latina. I'm Colombian. Yeah, yeah. We were going to be the Latinx Kardashians, okay? As far as I was concerned, we were going to start an empire. We were going to have children. We were going to be like Kanye. Never mind. Sounds like a problem, okay? That was going to be us. And it was intense, right? This is like the first, your first love relationship. Not like first love when you're a kid and you're like, oh, sex, I understand that. It was, which well, I was like, oh, sex, eh, question marks. This was like, <laughs> oh, I would like to go to brunch with you. Oh, I would like to think about houses with you. Build a home, right, as one does. <laughs> you get it. All right. So <laughs> we're building this home together. And it was, it, it was huge for me, right? It's mainly because, one, I lived with my parents. <laughs> if you haven't done it, really support it, okay? Namaste. You should do it. Two, I had never felt this way about anybody. And again, trust in my body. Do you guys know what happens uh, with trust in your brain? So apparently when you trust someone, what happens is this like rush of chemicals goes into like the pleasure center. So it's literally like a drug. It's what happens after sex. And when you decide to have a relationship with someone and literally trust them and invest in them, like you decide in a third of a second if you're going to trust someone. So I'm falling in love. Great. We're building a home. Great. Let's Ikea. Let's go to Ikea together. Fantastic. And then I moved to Cambodia. And I have to move, which is devastating, because it's like we've been together for six months, we're doing all these things, and I'm like, oh, you know, we're gonna make it, it's gonna be fine. To catch you up, I'm dating someone, it's going really well. So I decide to meet her parents before I leave, because I'm like, this is the moment, okay? I'm gonna meet their parents, right? And so the dad's grilling me, he's kind of treating me very like Saved by the Bell, where he's like, how are you gonna treat my daughter? And I'm like, uh, like any woman would, <laughs> um, but she'd never had a woman over. And he goes to Sam, and he's like, 
when are you going to finish school? And I was like, er, like you told me you had a sociology degree with all this anime, which should have been a warning in my head because I don't know what person gets an anime degree, but I was like, yeah, cute, I like that. And she was like, I don't want to talk about it right now. Come to find out, she never, she never graduated school. It was all a lie. It was all, I was like, oh, okay. But I thought, adorable. So then I go to live across the country, and I'm like, great, I'm just going to. And what any, uh, you know, traditional homo couple does is I left her some things, right? So I left her a sweater of mine. I left her a necklace. And then I also left her a credit card because I was like, some of you are picking up where this is going. And this is, you guys are, you're going to get the cash later. So she was like, yeah, because like, uh, also Colombian parents are snoopers. They're very sneaky snoopy. And I lived with them and they were, I can't say it enough. And they would take stuff and be like, what is this? And I didn't want to have a conversation. So I gave it to her. Go to Cambodia, go to Italy, go to Germany, have a great time, six months of my life. But towards the end, things get really difficult and we're fighting every day, which... I don't know if you've ever fought uh, over Skype, but boy, is that <laughs> a setup for failure. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I, don't, uh, I don't understand where that's coming from. Well, you know what? Oh, no, you're breaking up. Oh, well, if you want to break up. No, you're literally breaking up. The internet is breaking up. Cambodian Wi-Fi is not meant for fights. So I come back. Try to repair the relationship, right? We're going through in and out, the fights, all these fights. She suffers from depression, panic disorder. We're starting to drift apart. Things are going to get a little bit too real. We're fighting too much. And then I'm like, all right, let me just, let's just end this. And um, But before I do, can you just, you said you would mention you'd use the card for a second, just like a quick second. Can you just send me a screenshot of how much you owe? And she sends it to me suspiciously fast, almost like she had it as her lock screen on her phone. Like, it was very quick how fast she sent that to me. And it was $2,600. Right, which <laughs> I gave you that as a joke, but that was really how much I paid for college. I had never uh, spent that much money in my life, especially not as a 24-year-old. And again, I trusted my body, right? My body had said, this is great. You can trust this woman, and it had failed me for the first time. And I remember when I saw it, I was in the room that I lived in. My mother was next door. I lived with my parents. And I remember just looking at my wall. Like, you know how when you decorate your room as a kid, you just use tape and you don't think it's going to get ruined or whatever? And so all of the tape marks were all over the walls where I had all my old posters. Like, it was like Yu-Gi-Oh! And then it was like Beyonce. And then it was just like a sheet of white paper because I was going through that phase. And then it was all just gone because now I was an adult and I just remember seeing all the tears and being like, oh my God, I can't believe this is what I've lived my life to. So we go to court and uh, go through the devastation of the breakup, you know, as one does, uh, a lot of drinking, all that stuff. And I was like, okay, I gotta get hot. I gotta go to the gym. I'm ready for court. So we went to court and she paid me and it still didn't feel good, guys, right? Like you still feel like, why did I, it felt like toxins were coming out of my body. Like she had destroyed this part of me. She had taken so much from me. And then I realized the only way to get past it was I had to forgive her. And so I did. Thank you. <laughs> That story really resonated with me. 
You can find Lorena Rusi online at lorenarusi.com or on Instagram at Colonial Manface. Maybe the best Instagram handle ever. So thank you. Thank you for tuning in. And queer folks, just remember, if you don't tell your story, someone else will. So go out there and tell queer stories. Do, do, do. Tell is created, hosted, and produced by me, Dre Campbell, and co-produced by Mariel Reyes. The stories are recorded live on location at the Bureau of General Services Queer Division, a pop-and-pop bookshop and event space in the LGBTQ Center in Manhattan. Go say hi to Greg and Donnie who run BGSQD and tell them we sent you. The Tell podcast is recorded at Brick House in downtown Brooklyn by Onel Moulet and is edited by Kyrell Palmer. Our theme song was written and recorded by Drake Campbell and Peter Letra. Emily Bogosian is the captain, and Sasha Mathias is the bigger boat. Remember to follow us on Spotify, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google us on Google Play, and slide into our DMs at TellQueers, or DreBiz on Instagram and Twitter. That's Queers and Biz with a Z. Tell is part of the Brick Radio family. For more information on this and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org slash radio.